Recorded on Wednesday, December 18th, 2013, in St. Louis, Missouri. This Agile Life, episode 29. Yesterday, me was an idiot. Welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my two co-hosts, Amos King. Hey, good evening, John. Good evening, Amos. And Craig Buchek. Hello, John, Amos, everyone else. Craig and Amos, thanks for joining me. We're going to get right into our discussion, discussion topic tonight. And guys, tonight, to start us off, we're going to talk about pair switching. And all of the fun stuff that goes along with pair switching. Guys, how many, how many on average, what do you think the average number of Agile teams or the average uh, set of teams are actually using pair programming? Hopefully all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully, I, most, hopefully most of them. I, I would be a fan of all of them, but I think realistically, uh, I, the number is probably pretty low. Less than 25%? I would think somewhere around that of teams that claim to be agile, probably 10% teams that are actually agile, probably 25%. Whoa, that's pretty low. I would think it's higher than that. I guess I've been lucky though to, to uh, work with companies that are doing hardcore agile, I'll call it instead of watered down agile. Um, Fagile. Fake agile, watered down (laughs) agile, whatever. Um, Wagile. So, so uh, another question you might ask is if, if people are doing pairing, um, what percentage of the time are they spending doing pairing versus uh, working alone? Yeah, we. Uh, what do you think about that? I think I, if I, they're, I think if they're pairing, I'll answer my own question. That's <laughs> it. I think if they're if they are using pairing, I think they are pairing eighty uh, percent of their active development time. Uh, it depends on the team. I think a good team is is up in the eighty plus percent. Um, I think your average team is probably closer to fifty to sixty percent. I think that if you say that you're pairing a hundred percent of the time, just because of real world, we have an odd number of people on our team. People are sick. People are out. That I think you're closer to eighty. If you say you're doing a hundred percent, yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at just uh, if you take two weeks of vacation every year and uh, sick time and everything, you're already at looking at like 32 hours a week of actual work time on average across a year. And then you have meetings and other things that happen throughout the day. So there's no way you're pairing it at 100%. That doesn't count. What percentage of the time you're developing are you pairing? That's what I'm saying is that you go to a meeting and now there's an odd number of people sitting on your team. Somebody is Writing code, but not pairing. Oh, I, I get you. You have to always make sure there's an even number. If you're going to pair 100% of the time. Or that odd man out's not allowed to write production code. Well, do you guys think that a team can be agile and not pair? I think it's harder. Uh, pairing is, is getting the communication going. And I think that we've talked enough that communication is the core piece of agile. It's the requirement for everything of that. I think it's a tool in the toolbox that every team should at least have tried. Um, And I think if you aren't doing it, you probably didn't try hard enough. Well, Craig, let me follow. Let me, let me ask you a follow-up question on that because I think you're, uh, you have, you have a longer career in it than Amos. He just called me old. I, I kind of (laughs) did. I was trying, Uh, I was trying to find a nice way to say it. That's okay. Uh, on the on the majority of the agile teams that you've worked on, Craig, have you guys paired or at least tried pairing? Yeah, like I said, I've been lucky to work on pretty advanced agile teams. Um, so um, I think eh, probably five teams at least, all but one did pairing most of the time. And, and Amos, are you in the similar boat to Craig, where you've been on teams mostly that have done pairing? But yeah, within a year of being out of college. I went straight to a company that was pairing nearly 100% of the time. I would call it a 100% pairing time company. And I stayed there for six and a half years. So I, I did pairing nearly full time for that long. I've been working on Agile teams since 
2000, so for 14, almost 14 years now. And the vast majority of the teams that I would consider agile during that time, they, they did not pair. I would say 90%, 90% of the teams were not pairing. So do you think that you were more effective when you were pairing or when you weren't pairing? That's, the, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Why did those teams not pair? Did they just not buy in yet? The teams didn't pair. Uh, it was for multiple reasons. In one case, it was because the organization did not allow it. It was very much frowned upon. It was, it was viewed as a reduction in productivity because you basically had, in their eyes, of course, two people doing the work of one person. And they didn't buy into the, it's when two people are pairing, they're actually productive in, in terms of more like three people than the view of two people pairing doing one person's work. It so is they, counter, counterintuitive. Well, in the studies that show that even if it does slow down, that you have an 80% reduction in reported bugs is, is apparently not good enough for them. Well, I think they just use their intuition, not any research. Probably. I also had other teams that tried it and just didn't like it very much. And so we had pockets of pairing where sometimes people would pair to cross-train on something or they'd pair because they needed some help or they were going to work on something that someone else had some experience with. and. Uh, they they just wanted to cross pollinate ideas and get the benefits of pairing, but they didn't want to pair all of the time because that was just not how they wanted to operate. I find that unfortunate because I think that pairing is definitely a learned thing, and if you want to get better at it and be able to communicate better, you need to do it more. And I I see that to be on a lot of teams where they find pairing to be a pain point. They only really want to pair when they need to ask you a question, and then they really kind of want you to go away five minutes later. Um, and I, I have this internal struggle with that, that I feel like developers that are in the situation where they're, they want to, it to work that way, where they rarely want to pair, I feel like they're not as big of a team player as teams that I've been on that pair full-time. So let's switch to talking more about pair switching then. Um, specifically how often to pair switch and how to do it and what, uh, what mechanisms you use to facilitate the switching of pairs. So Craig, do you have some feelings about pair switching? Um, yeah. So, well, let's first talk about why, why we want to switch or why we want to switch more often. Um, so the benefits of pairing are, uh, sharing knowledge and team ownership. Um, so, one of the problems is if you, so we've had uh, a manager that suggested we pair switch every week or every other week, two, every two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, well, you're going to be stuck on the same with the same pair for a week or two. You're going to be stuck on the same stories for a week or two or four. Um, and you're not going to work with. So that team has like 14 or 15 developers. Uh, Amos did the math and it came out to like half a year before we paired with everybody. Um, and they were trying, they wanted switching. to move to pairing to eliminate silos of knowledge. So really, if you want to use pairing to eliminate silos of knowledge and improve communication, you really do need to pair switch more often. Um, now Amos and I, when we get into it, we're going to disagree on what the, the maximum is there or, or what's the likely maximum for a given team. But a week is too long. I think that's pretty clear that it's not going to give as much benefit if you pair switch every week. I think I would, I think I would kill you after a week. I think a day is too long. And that's the other thing. What if you and this other person haven't paired together very much? And like I said, it's a learned thing or you barely know them. It can be really hard to pair with somebody you barely know for a long period of time. And so you put them together for a week. And then they get nothing done because they're just banging heads. Where if you bounce people around, hopefully that person's not banging heads with everybody. Well, even if you do like the person and pair really well with them, Amos and I paired for, I think it was two weeks straight almost. And, you know, I love pairing with Amos, but I'd like to get some other opinions there um, and learn some stuff from other people. Because, you know, if you pair with someone that long, you're going to learn less 
from them, it's sort of diminishing returns. Craig um, was always tired of being wrong. Is really what happened uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, about about adding well one line of comment to the code. Yep. <laughs> I, I think we should call out the fact here that I think Craig, you and Amos nearly had a knife fight recently over how often to pair, how frequently to pair switch, etc. Right? Uh, no. Come we, on. Knife fight is a little much. Come I mean, on. The thing is, we're we're Craig so much I. in agreement except for one minor detail. Well, it's funny. Really, and when we do, it's a bike shedding we- moment. Unless it's unless it's about commenting, we hug it out. If it's about commenting, get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, back to how often to pair switch. Um, I think my suggestion for starting out is is half a day. Um, you know, there's there's easy breaks at you know the beginning of the day uh, and at lunchtime generally. So that that's a good uh, trigger to switch pairs. I think that's um, great for starting out. And right, next week, right. you should change it to hour-long pair switching. You're going to go from four hours to two hour, to one hour right away, huh? Uh, I, I think that within a very short period of time, you should be moving that way. And, and there's our major disagreement right there. I, I would definitely move from four hours to two hours. Um, I think one hour is, is an advanced technique that if you try it too early, you're, you're going to have problems, and you're not going to want to try it again when you're ready for it. Uh, I, and I call bullshit. <laughs> I, I think the advantages of one hour pair switching and shortening it like that is that whenever you're doing half day pair switching, even two hour pair switching, you can spend 20 to 40 minutes talking about what the problem is at hand and then getting the new person up to speed before you actually commit anything and start making improvements to the code. And that, that problem stands out really big when you switch down to hour long pair switching. So you're, you're spreading knowledge more. And you're driving out all of the communication issues. It, like <clears throat> hour-long pair switching just brings everything to the forefront. Every problem that your team has is is elevated to the next level. But also every good thing that your team has is elevated to the next level. And so it, it points these things out. And if you can eliminate that 40-minute pairing ramp up and get it down to five minutes because of hour-long pair switching. You've saved so much time during the day that I think it's a lot better. And what if, what if that takes a, you? What if that takes you four weeks to get to that point, though? Well, what? And then you continue for the next year. So four weeks, every hour at forty minutes, and then after that for the next year, it's five minutes. Find How many, me a manager that's going to allow you to have be unproductive for four weeks. Well, it's one that wants overall productivity for the course of the year. <laughs> you know, the, I don't think any manager is going to give up short-term gain for that long-term gain. I've heard Amos espouse doing pair switching every hour for a pretty long time, and he, and he, he seems relatively religious and steadfast about it. I, yes. I've seen five different teams start out saying, hell no, there's no way we can do that. Go to hour-long pair switching. Do it for about a month. And then say, look, let's go back to two. It's driven out all of our problems. Let's go back to two. And then they realize that all of those communication issues seem to, especially the communication issues, seem to come back. And they say, okay, let's go back to our long pairs, which five, so five different teams that I've been on, each one of them for at least a year, one of them for two years. So if one hour is good, why isn't half an hour better? Why not 15 minutes if, if half an hour works? You might be sending him over the edge into the well, abyss. That, that's that's the point. So one line Amos of code switch. Basically, Amos says that that one that shorter is always better, at least from one hour to two hours. So what makes one hour the limit and not two hours or half an hour? Oh, I believe it was you at one point that said that, or it may not have been you. No, it wasn't. It was from the C two wiki. I was reading in the C two wiki about. Uh, how often to pair switch to see if I could get any information out of there. And it was pretty short, but somebody in there said when it's a really hard problem, they pair switch every half hour. And I know that there's a context switch and um, there have been studies on context switches taking up to like 20 minutes for you to be able to process that context switch. Uh, Those studies were done on big context switching, like switching from working on a computer to um, cutting down a tree or something like that. When you're working on the same project and you're moving around, it wasn't really cutting down a tree. I don't know. What it is. <laughs> I see you laughing over there. Um, it, so when you're, when you're moving from one piece of the same project to another, 
especially after you have that knowledge spread around and everybody knows what's going on in every story because you are pair switching quickly, you don't have to communicate what's going on. And that, that transition period is much shorter. So what are the mechanics, Amos, for making this sort of pair switching at this scale work for hourly pair switching? How do you keep, how do you keep somebody with a thread of the thought that's going on and just mechanically, how do you go about achieving this? So Craig, Craig actually um, had put up a couple of these things in our show notes for tonight is that um, you need to make sure that one, when the, when you pair switch, you're not wasting time and two, like being reminded to pair switch. So I think a timer, you can set up a computer. We, Craig and I worked on a team that we had a computer that like, I don't know, did some clock dong thing that was really loud that the entire office could hear every hour. And uh, we would get used to hearing that same sound over and over. So then we set it to pick a random sound every hour. Uh, and we would just get up and pair switch then. That was fantastic for getting us to move. But then we found out we're spending time talking and saying, who am I going to pair with? Who am I going to pair with? So, right. Craig, why don't you uh, tell, tell them about some of the ways that we tried to solve that? Yeah, Craig, why don't you tell me about that? So the one that, that I liked that worked really well, and we had about, I think we had about 10 people on that team, so about five pairing stations. Um, what worked the best for that team, at least, was um, like on the even hour, the person in the left seat would move to the left station to the left of them. And on the, the other hours, the person in the right seat would move uh, one station to the right. Um, so when you pair switch, one person's always going to stay on the story because you, you can't basically just drop all the knowledge on the floor. Um, so when you pair switch, one person always stays. Um, but that worked really well. I, I think we had tried some pairing chart <laughs> before that. The pyramid. Um, the pyramid. So, you know, uh, Amos pairs with Craig and then Amos pairs with John and then John pairs with Craig. And, and it was with 10 people, the, the permutations are really quite large, actually. Um, so the rotation worked pretty well. I think it ended up, if you're in the left seat, though, you're not going to pair with people in the left seat that day. Um, so you kind of need to pick a left or right seat at random every day, I think, is uh, one way around that, or maybe when you come back for lunch. It was kind of um, like whoever you sat down with in the morning. Yeah, that, that was kind of random. So you could probably set up some sort of way to start that out um, to, to eliminate the issue of uh, left seat people never working with left seat people. Um, but other than that, it worked pretty well. All right. So let me bring up, let me bring up another couple of issues that you guys just mentioned, and that's arrival time to, to the office, lunch time, and then departure time. What if you've got, you know, um, early bird Earl that gets in at 7 a.m. every morning and leaves at 430? And you've got the other guy that comes in at 9.30 and leaves at, you know, 6. And uh, how do you manage that, especially also with lunch times, right? I want to go to lunch at 11.30 because I got in at 7. You don't want to go to lunch till 12.30 because you got in at 9 or 9.30. I don't care. One-hour pair switching makes that easier. Yeah. And, and actually, I found that as the team starts doing this and they they do have a defined pair switching moment but a lot of times they end up getting up and going to lunch at the same time or at least more than one person leaves so then you can just push pairs in together that way um what so about, what about I, I the... never found that to be a big problem unless you have people that are working hugely different hours like one guy comes in at 8 p.m and works till midnight or 4 a.m and the other guy comes in at 7 a.m and and leaves long before the other person gets there. Unless you have huge swings like that, I, I don't see a huge issue. Yeah, what if you've got to... that is that we set core hours on a team um, that basically said you need to be here between 9 and 4, I think, or something like that. So, you know, you, those are the core pair pairing hours. Got it. You know, one of the things that I've experienced personally, because I haven't done a lot of pairing guys so from my perspective i was always a little antsy about about pairing because i thought well i'm going to get somebody who's 
who's hard to work with or they're very opinionated or they won't let me run the keyboard and the mouse. You Have know? you worked with me, John? <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good, good description of Amos. Well, was, for that matter. Hey. <laughs> I didn't want to hurt his feelings, Craig. I was trying to just be generic. But pair switching more often would certainly help maybe alleviate that because I wouldn't have to worry so much. But I just can't get over, I guess I just can't get past the, the context switch. So, so what you do also whenever you switch is the, new, the newest person on the story is the one that stays. Whoever's been on the story the longest is the one that has to leave. And that, that kind of helps keep, keep you moving from not getting stuck on something that you don't enjoy and not getting stuck with a person that you don't enjoy and you, as you're moving along. And one of the other things that I've seen is short pair switches have a tendency to cause small stories. Because people don't like it that they're not seeing a story to finish. And they find good commit points, good places to split their stories so that they, they don't last more than one or two pairs, which is really nice. And then once all of your stories are fitting into that, we get back to no estimates because now every story is the same size. We automatically start splitting them this way because we've been switching like this for so long that now they're just all small. Is short is having short stories an absolute requisite before you can start doing this, or could you take a team that has stories that are taking multiple days and uh, go to hour-long pair switching? So hour-long pair switching is what forces it to automatically happen. It becomes a pain point, and people want to fix that pain point. They can either fix it by extending their, their pairing time again and making it longer, so we pair for a day or two instead of an hour, or they can shrink the story. And and that's where you got to get by is, hey, let's not go back to the old way. Let's try to solve the problem, but stick to this new thing for a little while. Longer. What about a possible problem of continuity in terms of the vision for something that's being developed, right? If somebody starts off with, we're going to do this in a particular way and they spend Maybe they just got started on a story, they spent a half an hour on it, and they started to implement their idea, and then they pair switched out. And one guy was left, and he kind of had a general idea of, of that direction. But uh, the other guy who's, who comes in, sits in, switches in as the new pair, sits down and goes, oh, we don't want to do it like this. And they start to implement it another way. Well, then Have you they- guys run into that? And if so... Is that okay that somebody decides to change direction? Or is this a thing where you have to deal with this and say, you know, if somebody starts out a certain direction, we need to stick with that all the way until we complete the story. So, yeah. Um, once in a while, you'll get churn. Um, like if the story's long enough that, you know, going through about four or five pair switches, Maybe even more than that, maybe eight or ten. You sort of end up with a little bit of churn. Um, so one solution to that is try not to have stories that long. But actually, I found that when that happens, you end up with a much better quality. Um, so the first pair starts out with an idea, um, and then so when the pair switch happens, the the one person communicates to the next person, you know, the the plan of attack. Um, and then there's another pair switch and the, the newer person that wasn't originally on the story describes it to the next person. And that next person's like, we shouldn't do that. We should try a different way. There's a better way to do that. That that's kind of the point of, of quick pair switches is that you get more opinions on the thing. Um, and you get a better solution. And, and if the people pairing there come up with a new solution and they both agree that it's better, one of them set through the original implementation and the start of the new implementation, it probably does have some merit there. You said you, you get a better, you get a better solution, Craig. I think some people might want to challenge that and say, are you sure you get a better solution? Because there's lack of continuity in terms of understanding the problem and, and going and, and finally implementing a solution. So what, what do you base that on? How do you, do you have any background evidence about how you feel about the the statement of you get a better solution? 
Um, I, I, I'm not aware of any research, that's for sure. Um, but you know, a lot of times you'll do a code review on something that you started on and you had one way of doing things. And by the time it gets done, it was done a different way. And you're like, wow, we didn't even think of that. Um, so just the, the experience I've had is more often than not, you end up with uh, a better solution when it, when it changes uh, between pairs. Um, but occasionally you do run into the churn um, where you basically end up on the story and it's changed and then you want to change it back because it's not a better solution, right? Yeah. And then you um, know it's it, time for a team conversation. I was just about ready to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then, then you basically need to, to bring you know, the entire team on because at that point, most of the team's already seen it. Um, and and you, you need to have a conversation with more than those two people. Well, and, and hopefully your stories are small enough that you're getting them done in a pair switch or two, and it doesn't matter a whole lot. And, and that never seems to happen because the, the bigger direction is seen at the time of next story, next story at the last responsible moment of that decision. So I think it's a way of driving out um, problems like that. So I think it maybe, gets rid of code ownership. Yeah, so basically when you pair switch and you've pair switched enough times that you end up back on the story and and the way of solving it changed and you don't agree with it, I think that pushes you to communicate with the whole team. Um if that hasn't happened already in fact, um just by the fact that you pair switched that much. Let's uh, face so it. I, I think that's a good thing. Okay. Let's face it. I think that a lot of developers out there view themselves as code poets. They think that every bit of code that they write is uh, is is just a, a tantalizingly a tantalizing morsel from their yeah their so, Shakespearean fingers. I yep. have two big things to say about that. One is uh, the phrase I like to say is "Yesterday me was an idiot." Um, hopefully, I've learned I enough today. At the same time, uh, I think I coined that, and then you started copying it. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what I'm saying is that that. I should learn enough every day that when I look at yesterday's code, I should think that it's not as good as it could be because I've learned enough today that I could write better code today than yesterday. Um, and how, all right, how I forgot you, my second thing. <laughs> how, do feel, how do you feel when yesterday me starts to catch up to today me? So, so idiot you was the last time you pair switched. You're like, why the hell did I do that? Yeah. Um, I, that makes me feel really good and really bad. Does that mean I'm <laughs> learning faster or, or was making mistakes faster just recently? It, maybe. I don't know. But I, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It makes me feel really good and really bad. What, what was the question again, John? The question was about the fact that, in my experience, developers, they have a lot of own, oh, yeah. ownership in their code, right? And so how do you deal with it when somebody, when you do have this, point of contention maybe because somebody felt like hey damn it i put that active record in there for a very good reason and i don't know why you took it out so well the other the other answer is the quality of the code has to come it has to come above your ego uh you're 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 well there's sort of two parts to your ego one is i wrote that you shouldn't change it because it makes me feel bad the other part of your ego is to say, I want to have the best code uh, to show off. You need to put that second part of your ego ahead of the first part. Put your, put your ego in we, the team, and not in me, the person. Yeah. Um, so I think the agile um, saying is something about the, the, code, the code rules. Basically, um, better code is, is all important. There's, there's no room for individual ego on a team. Amos, I think one of the things that you were alluding to and, and saying it before was that code ownership, the problem of code ownership disappears to some extent because you work on something for such a brief period of time, maybe a maximum of two hours, that you don't have time to really build up that, that relationship with the code where you feel like, oh my God, this is my baby. I own this thing, right? So. Well, and even if you can get to the point where your stories are shrunk small enough to be done in an hour or two, then even if you do have a feeling of code ownership, your piece of code, 
that went in there, your functionality, your your tiny story is so small that in the big picture, it becomes it becomes a pebble of sand on the beach. It, it's insignificant. You can take it out and it may not really matter, or you can put it in and it may be the greatest thing that ever happened, but it's it's insignificant in the bigger picture. So you own smaller pieces throughout the code instead of just owning this patch of of one foot by one foot beach. The best one foot by one foot sandcastle you've ever seen, by the way. <laughs> it's an awesome one foot beach code sandcastle. That's right. Amorphous. So you, you don't have you don't have a chance to build walls inside your code too. And you have less likely for you to re-implement something that has already been implemented somewhere else in the code after all the knowledge is spread around. Because you're likely to have a pair that says, hey, we already implemented that over here. I don't know how many code bases I jump in that I find the exact same code implemented five different ways in five different places because there wasn't enough knowledge here. And people spent a day on a story making a great big walled garden for themselves. We know you guys have a lot of opinions about pair switching as well. And and one of the downsides to having a podcast is that we can't always interact with you directly in the podcast. So one of the things we've done is we've created a Google Plus community. And we invite you to come out and join our Google Plus community. You can join the Google Plus community by going to thisagilelife.com slash community. And you'll be directed to our page where you can sign up. For a small recurring monthly fee, you can be a member of our private community and engage with us on there and talk more about pair switching. And if you ever see me in public, I will give you a hug. I forgot. That's the most important thing. It is. I mean, who doesn't want a hug for maintenance? Especially when you're pair switching. That's right. I hug myself every day, twice. Do you guys feel like pair switching builds? Uh, builds animosity on the team or does it build camaraderie camaraderie oh in unison yeah see we've been together a long time have you ever <laughs> had a, a situation where so, uh, one of the people on the team was very hard to get along with just had one of those personalities that was a little bit different and they were just difficult in general in society to get along with, even in programmer developer terms. Yeah, but I still like to program with Amos. I was just waiting. <laughs> well, I, uh, you set me up for that. I, I don't know that I can, uh, I can tell the story about Mr. Mr. So-and-so or Dr. So-and-so that I worked with. Um, keyboard flipping incident. Oh no, that was somebody else. That didn't even bother me. I love that guy. He's awesome. Um, no, uh, and, and I didn't cause him to flip the keyboard, by the way. He forgot his password and had typed it like 15 times and couldn't understand why the company hadn't implemented single sign-on yet. Um, the, no, the other guy would have long discussions with the entire team over technology, uh, choices in code, design, whatever, and he would like argue with everybody. And finally, he would be, well, what appeared to be content with the decision and we would move forward with that decision. And the next day he would come in and like flip out and tell us why we were all wrong and bring up blog posts that uh, were written in 1992 about why we were all wrong. And, and I'm like, okay, well, and then here's all the blog posts after that, that talk about what the problem is with that original design decision and, and why everyone in the world has moved past that except for you. And then he would go, oh, I didn't realize that was written in 92. And then three days later, he would bring up a blog post again written in 92 saying, wait, we should go back and rethink this again. And that was just frustrating. But I don't think pairing fixed or, or hurt that. It would have been that either way. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think so. some people are harder to pair with. They tend not to want to pair. Um, so I'm not sure which is the, you know, which is the cause and which is the effect. Uh, I think they're probably a little of each. So people that don't want to pair tend not to be good pairs. People that don't pair tend not to be good pairs. Um, there, there is another issue <laughs> with pairing, which is hygiene. Um, when when you brought up that, I I thought about more about the person I didn't want to pair with because um, he didn't smell good when I sat too close to him. Um, so you do have to keep good hygiene if you're pairing in person. 
Uh, that means shower and deodorant uh, every day. If you're allergic to deodorant, put on patchouli. I think it smells like crap, but put it on anyway. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing is, if someone offers you gum while you're pairing, you must accept it. We should make up pairing rules, like, like the Ten Commandments of pairing, and that should be one of them. I'm pretty sure they exist. I actually have the seven highly the seven habits of highly effective pair programmers. Except gum always is that one of them? It hygiene is definitely a rule and there is definitely one of the seven habits. I was going to say shit shower and shave before you show up, but hygiene is probably a better term for that. <laughs> I, 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 does the shitting before you turn up to work really matter or shaving for that matter? If you're a <laughs> farter. Yeah, if you're a farter, it might. <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing that we should even have to have the conversation about hygiene. It's just it's embarrassing to me, but I've many times in my career had to talk to a person on a team about their personal hygiene. Sadly, it's the person I have in mind uh, got talked to more than once about it and still had an issue with it. What's really disturbing is when you see the guy that you were just pairing with run out of the bathroom stall right back to the desk skipping oh, yeah. the skipping right. the uh hand washing station in the restroom so skipping hand washing oh, station i'm going to go to a non coding talk but it's kind of the same thing and i'm sure it's happened is i was at the airport and i watched a guy walk away from the urinal i'm assuming he just went to the bathroom got a paper towel and dried his hands off and walked out of the bathroom no stop at the sink but stopped at the paper towel. <laughs> my advice would be, don't, oh my God. don't pee on your hands, but if you use the paper towel, then maybe his hands were wet. Maybe he washed his hands in the, in the urinal. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and then he went and pair programmed. Can we edit this out? <laughs> this, is quali- this is what people tune in for, Craig. Oh, I don't think I tune in for that. Um, it needs to be a show title. Urinal to paper towel. <laughs> um so do you you so actually i how do you get this back on track (laughs) so i think we actually had a team where we kept wipes for for keyboards and and mice and desks and such and uh i think we had a person that did them about once a week or every other week um we 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 had a bit of a we had more of a clutter issue i think than anything and and one person was bothered by that and well we got an ocd guy to take care of that for us well, one of the OCD guys, I think, is what you mean. Yeah. We used to have a wipe down Wednesday. I, I've also brought my own keyboard. Yeah, you can. USB lets you move keyboards between stations pretty easily. I've never brought my own mouse. It would be really nice. I, and I don't know why they, somebody hasn't tried this or come up with this. But one of the issues I've always had with pairing is that you get people that are screen pointers. You guys know what I mean? They, they stick I'm their, one of those. They stick their big sausage, sausage finger. They, they stick I, their big I, sausage I, I, finger I, I, onto I, my screen. Oh. So then you, oh. Got the, you got the sausage finger mark on the screen, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and I can't see. But why, why can't we have two mice that can work together? So Screen Hero has that, but that's not really for pairing when you're. Uh, Local, local, uh, sitting next to each other. Um, I believe there yeah. is an extension in in X Windows on on Linux that you can do that. I don't know how to enable it off but the top I, of my head. I don't. I don't care. I mean, usually we're not both trying to use the mouse at the same time, so you can point with the mouse while I type on the keyboard. I've seen a lot of people get frustrated with go back to this. Stanza, go back to this line in the code, go back to this curly brace, right? And even if they give the guy, go back to line 45, right there, right there. No, give me the mouse, you know, right there. Oh, we'll learn the keyboard shortcuts and you don't have to touch the mouse. No, it's, it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of the other pair not being able to put the cursor exactly where the other guy is trying to get you to look. Yeah. I can't, I don't know. I don't know how you deal with that very well. I I'm, just, I'm, I mean, I'm far more worried about the guy who I glance over because I want to like engage with him, and he's picking his nose. And it's like, dude, go wash your hands. Hygiene, <laughs> hygiene um, issue. I've never had that when I'm pairing with a, a, a female or a woman. Um, so 
that's that's one benefit to making sure you have plenty of women on your team is that guys have a tendency to be a little cleaner. No, women have it. Oh. You're saying women have a tendency to no, be no, a little and the and the men. Oh, like, crap. when the women are around, yeah, unless they're sure. like older married men, and then they don't care. Then they bathe <laughs> and they comb their hair and they come in looking all fresh and saucy, right? All of a sudden, I don't feel like an older man because I do behave like that. Amos, <laughs> thanks. A little younger. In the final analysis, Craig, did you did you and Amos? end up agreeing agreeing to disagree or agreeing to go Amos's way with what was it one hour pairing Amos was that what the final solution was well on one team we did get there one team we did get there after we were doing two hours and then we moved to one hour and then we moved back to two hour because we had difficulty with it and then we moved back to one hour successfully um, on the current team we're we're not even pairing probably 50%, so I don't think we're ready to even maybe to move be, to two hour yet. To be fair, Craig said that we've successfully done it on one team. Craig and I have only been together on one team and then our current team right now. Right. So our, our argument is not about should we try to get there, it's how quickly to try to get there. Really, that's our, our only argument with pair switching length. And I like it like ripping off a Band-Aid. Just get it over with. So, Craig, what do you think the curve should be? If you were going to pick weeks, you know, do it like this for a week, do it like this for a couple of weeks, do it like this for a couple of weeks, then ultimately what? I don't know that I could say how long to do it. I, I say start with half days. Um, and then when you're comfortable with that and you feel you're ready, then, then try the two hours. And when you're comfortable with that and you think it might provide some benefit, try the one hour. I, I don't even know that all teams should really necessarily strive to get to the one hour. Um, I'm pretty happy with two hour pair switching times. Um, all teams should go after one hour. So do you leave it to the team to decide or do you guys try and bring it, bring it up in retro and say, we have this problem. Therefore, I think we should pair switch every hour as a solution to the problem. Or do you just lay down the law and say, uh, starting the, the next day, we're going to start pair switching every hour. How do you present it to the team and come to a conclusion? To me, all agile practices should be brought up at a, a retrospective, or changes in practices should be brought up at retrospectives. And, and discussed, and, not be, and, not and the team decide. Yeah, the team should decide. You now, know, Amos the, is going to be very forceful at uh, <laughs> pushing for his desire for one-hour pair switching. I, I uh, am. But it I needs to be up, a team decision. I bring up fear. Oh, but I don't want to go to one hour from two hour pair switching. Why are you too scared? You afraid to try it for a week? <laughs> so I, I think you go from half day and you do it for a retro or two, however far apart they are. Move to two hour, move to an hour. If you can, get it on an hour from day one. Just jump into it wholehearted like like the polar bear swim. Just go for it. What if everybody was what if everybody was digging their heels in on you, Amos, and you had a you had a team that was particularly uh, set in their ways and they were like, listen, we barely want to pair and we're doing that. And now you're asking us to pair switch uh, every hour. No way, dude. You know, we're not going to do that. Uh, I, you should be willing to try just about anything for a week. That's, that's the only thing that I've ever said out of retro is you have to be willing to try it. And that includes me. And if you're unwilling to try it, then we have a problem. But when you say you're going to try it, you have to go in it wholehearted. So if you can get, if the whole team is digging their heels against me, I'll try to find something else to change and then bring it up again later. But if I can get half the team to say we should try it, then it's time to try it. Craig, any final thoughts on the topic, your topic, our special topic tonight of pair switching? Um, sometimes it's actually easier to sell if you're, uh, pair switching more quickly because uh, I think you brought this up earlier because well now I don't have to sit with Amos for more than an hour <laughs> or two uh, it doesn't feel especially as bad. if I didn't go poop showering <laughs> oh boy okay well as we said before we'd love to hear what you think about the topic of pair switching and again we invite you to join us on our Google Plus community 
by going to thisagilelife.com slash community and signing up to for a subscription to join the Google Plus private community. Guys, that's it for our discussion of pair switching tonight. Let's see what you all have for your picks this evening. And we'll start with Craig. Craig, what's your picks? Uh, my first pick is Monoprice. Uh, it's a great place to buy cables. Um, I spent like $120 on cables, and I probably got about $250 worth of cables. Um, like they have USB cables for under a dollar. Uh, I got a mini display port cable for like five bucks or less, which if you go to the store, it's going to be like 30 bucks. Uh, I'm pretty sure they ship at cost. I got a nice little four port, four amp USB charger. Um, so it's just amazing how much you can save, uh, by getting cables at mono price instead of the store. Um, my other pick is a, a thing called wire world. It's a cellular automaton. Uh, kind of similar to Con- Conway's Game of Life, if you're familiar with that. Um, and what it does is it uh, it simulates electrons going down wires. And uh, you can simulate AND gates and OR gates. And they took this and they built an actual computer out of it with registers and an instruction set and uh, seven-segment displays. It's It's pretty cool. So I'll put the link on the show notes. Good picks. Awesome. I'm yeah. going to have to go there right now. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. Amos, what are your picks tonight? Uh, so my first pick is the Arduino. Uh, I pulled my Arduino out. I hadn't, hadn't um, had it out in probably a year, year and a half, and just started playing with it last night. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> Electron. Wow, that was really far. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, now you've messed me up. Uh, just getting getting your hands on doing some hardware real world stuff is a lot of fun, and yet you can still program. So I, I really like that. It's a it's a good way to go. And then my second pick is uh, a geek desk, or or rather I should say the idea of a geek desk. Uh, I ordered a geek desk. It's a standing and sitting desk that moves electronically, um, and it is supposed to show up tomorrow. So uh, maybe next time I'll pick the geek desk for real. But right now I'm. Just the idea of being able to stand and sit and stand without moving a bunch of milk crates around on top of my desk. And that's so, the manufacturer is Geek Desk is the retailer. Yeah. Um, and I will put the link in the show notes. I don't remember if it's geekdesk.com or geekdesk.org or what. So another way to get a cheap uh, standing desk that, that moves between standing and sitting is, is finding a used drafting table. That's what I use. Um, I had to disable the ability of the uh, the top to tilt because I don't want my $2,000 computer to fall on the floor. Um, but it's spring-loaded. Uh, I just hit a release bar, and uh, I can move it up or down real quick. So, And, and I've seen his desk. It's, it's really about, nice. It costs about 200 bucks. It's a really big surface, and uh, it's heavier than probably the Geek Desk, but it's a lot cheaper if you can find a, a used drafting table. It's also not as wide. The Geek Desk is nearly 80 inches wide. Uh, this is no, this is an 80. 80 is huge for any sort of desk. 78.75. Mine is about <laughs> I think, four and a half by three and a half, I think. I think Craig has desk envy. <laughs> Who's got the bigger desk? But she said it's the right size, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It yeah, was, let's cut that part out. It was only a matter of time before we got to that. <laughs> okay, I get to go last. I've got, amazingly, I have three picks, and... That's good, I guess. Uh, My first pick is Bitcoins. Uh, If you're interested in Bitcoins, Bitcoins is a type of of cryptocurrency, which is something I've just recently learned quite a bit about. But Bitcoins has been in the news a lot lately, and the price has really been just fluctuating all over the place. So buyer beware. Uh, Be careful with how you spend your money. I am not a a money-managing expert. But I uh, just thought you all might be interested if you were not aware of Bitcoins, but you probably already are. I alluded to uh, my other pick before, which is a blog post that I wrote and have subsequently had published a couple of times called Seven Habits of Highly Effective Pair Programmers. And I'll have a link to that post in the show notes. And my last pick is the Hour of Code 2013. The Hour of Code 2013 this the for this year, obviously, duh, 2013. <clears throat> just just end it. It was December 9th through the 15th, and uh, was really focused at 
getting young people involved with uh, learning to code. And well, I guess anybody, not just young people. So they say right on their site, anybody can learn. And they kind of challenge everybody to try to code for at least one hour. And Mark Zuckerberg is behind it, along with a bunch of the other techno roddies out on the West Coast. So maybe something interesting for um, you folks listening to share with your friends, family, maybe kids, nieces, nephews, etc. And I'll include a link to Computer Science Education Week and the 2013 Hour of Code in the show notes. Uh, I just want to add to that, John. The learning to code thing. My daughter's been doing this. Khan Academy uh, just started it last week, and they do the same thing. It's it's pretty cool. Awesome. Glad to hear that. How old is your daughter, Amos? Thirteen. Yeah. So you're never too young to start. Great. Uh, now I just need to get my my six year old daughter to do it too. Well, that would be cool. Well, Amos, where can folks find out more about you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at my ugly blog, dirtyinformation.com, or you can find me on GitHub and Twitter at adcron, A-D-K-R-O-N. I look forward to hearing from you. And on our private Google Plus community. Um, that's right. Shameless self-promotion. Craig, where can people find out more about you? Um, on Twitter, I'm Craig Buchek, C-R-A-I-G-B-U-C-H-E-K. Uh, on GitHub, I'm Booch, B-O-O-C-H. Um, I have a wiki. Uh, wiki.boochtech, B-O-O-C-H-T-E-K.com. Maybe someday I'll reinstate the blog. Very cool. You guys can find me uh, at my website, johnsextro.com, or you can follow me on Twitter, at JC Sextro. And uh, we also have websites and everything for the podcast. Our website for the podcast is thisagilelife.com. Our Twitter handle is thisagilelife. And you can go out to the website to find the show notes for this podcast, as well as all of our current picks and past picks. And we invite you to do that and check it out. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life.